right. My God in heaven, it's the end of the world. <laughs> this is The Earth Wants You. I don't think the earth necessarily wants to end right now. I think the earth is going to do fine. It's, it's you and me. We're the problem. Amen. And who are we? Savitri D. and Reverend Billy from the church of Stop Shopping. That's right. Stop Shopping. Welcome, people. Now, we have a show today, a fabulous worship today. We're down on our knees looking up, and, and the sun is shining on us. Oh, my God. We've got some real monocultural devils that we're going to deal with today. We've got the uh, super Catholic Irish uh, conservative hierarchy coming down upon us, insisting that we uh, do away with women's reproductive rights. Is that, isn't that pretty much wrap it up there? But the Irish people have risen up. And then we also have, we also have the devil of privatizing our parks. The, this devil will be not so much mm. in the forms of bishops. Yes, this is bishops. a worldwide scourge. The privatization of public space coming down upon us. We go back in time to Union Square Park. They just want to get into our parks, and get I into our bodies, get like into our minds. Reverend get into Billy, our... a belated happy birthday. Happy birthday, Reverend Billy. What? I know we're late, but we'll just stretch it out. How old am I? Nobody knows. Don't answer that. Amen. Praise be. And we've had we've had some activity this week working on behalf of our, shall we say, alternative artists. Amen. Praise be. The people that are in the parks performing for the children instilling in their minds the idea of women's reproductive rights amen praise be and a lot of other yes circus amok we were privileged to preach and sing at their gendered multi-talented multi-instrumentalist multi-faceted lots of sparkles lots of like old circus skills (laughs) amen thank you Jennifer Miller, the bearded lady, and your Circus Amok friends. Glad to partner with you this week. We have coming up our, of course, the endangered species that sings to us in Extinction's Got Talent. And we've got the answer to the question this week in the independent newspaper. The question being, aren't the right-wing apocalyptic Christians self-fulfilling their own apocalyptic prophecy by dedicating the Jerusalem consulate at the same time that the Palestinians are being slaughtered. We'll get right into that as well. Amen. Where does that leave us? News from the natural world. Savitri D. Hello. Welcome to News from the Natural World. The European Commission on Monday proposed banning single-use plastic products such as cotton buds and plastic straws and putting the burden of cleaning up waste on manufacturers in an effort to reduce marine litter. Cotton buds, if you don't know what those are, Q-tips. Cotton buds, ah, Hundreds of volunteers in the Democratic Republic of Congo have set out on foot and motorbike to teach Ebola safety in a drive aid agencies say could be key to containing a deadly outbreak. Community workers are racing to trace contacts of those infected by the virus and relay information to the public in northwest Congo, where an outbreak was detected at the start of May. At least 27 people have been killed so far, including two who escaped quarantine in Bandenka, 
a city of 1.5 million where health experts Amen. fear the disease will be most difficult to halt. 1.5 million people. Ebola is a highly contagious disease and spreads through contact with bodily fluids of its victims, often during burial rites. It killed at least 11,300 people in the West African countries of Guinea, Liberia, and Sierra Leone between 2013 and 2016. Education helps. White House officials last year weighed whether to simply ignore the climate findings emerging from federal agencies under President Trump or instead develop, quote, a coherent fact-based message about climate science, according to a new memo obtained by the Washington Post. So they're just weighing whether to ignore or develop a, quote, coherent fact-based message about climate science. Which would you go with? Eleven people have been shot dead during violent protests in South India against a <clears throat> copper plant operated by a British mining giant. Residents say is polluting the local environment. Ten people were shot dead and about 80 wounded by police after crowds set fire to cars and pelted officers with stones on Tuesday. A 23-year-old man was killed the following day. The Madras High Court ordered a halt to the expansion of the 400,000-ton smelting facility in response to the unrest and ordered authorities to hold public hearings before granting environmental approval to the construction. You shouldn't, Pluto, have, you shouldn't have to kill 10 people to get a public hearing. Pluto mm -hmm. might be made of a billion comets squashed together. Its chemical makeup hints that this might be its origin story and that it may even have once had a liquid ocean. Researchers from Humboldt University <laughs> in Berlin have created the first map of Europe's last wild forests. The map identifies more than 3.4 million acres in 34 European countries. There it actually turns out to be quite a bit more wild forest in Europe than previously thought. The Sunderbonds, the largest mangrove forest in the world, is threatened by toxic chemical pollution. Thousands of marine and forest species are at risk. Repeated mishaps have already dumped toxic materials like sulfur, hydrocarbons, chlorine, magnesium, potassium, arsenic, lead, mercury, nickel, vanadium, beryllium, barium, stop cadmium, it, chromium, it. selenium, stop radium, it. and many more I'm into the dying. waters. A recent incident involved the sinking of a coal-loaded cargo ship on April 14th, deep inside the forest. The forest is also famous as the home of the endangered Royal Bengal Tigers. According to the United Nations, there is enough food waste to feed the world's hungry four times over. And violent dust and lightning storms have torn through the plains of northern India, including the capital city of New Delhi and have left a trail of death and devastation in their wake. The weather has claimed 143 lives and maimed hundreds of others, many in housing collapses, and presages a desertifying India that is fast losing some 30,000 hectares of arable land a year, gravely threatening the food security of 1.2 billion people. I had good news. But you, you, you made us so depressed, I don't think we'd even recognize good no, news. No, this is at good news. Point. The EU is considering action, I know, that's off in the future, to defend people's right to repair electronic goods despite industry reluctance. The EU is considering rules 
that would require tech, tech companies to provide replacement parts and diagnostic tools to independent repair shops. Consumers would also receive repair instructions. Oh, my God. The move comes as consumer and environmental groups in the U.S. have accused big tech companies of shortening the useful lifespan of electronic products in order to increase sales. Guys, Planned let's do it. obsolescence. We can do that. We can repair things. In, in Cuba, I saw a film once, they repair umbrellas. It's actually, you know, a job you can have. Repairing umbrellas. We just think of them as sort of giant insects that get Here in New York, run over by cars. Here in New York, every time it rains, there's about six million of them in the street. I'm exaggerating, barely. <laughs> in New York City, there are about six million umbrellas every time there rains. Somewhere I mean, in between the abundance of New York and the scarcity of Havana is lies. graceful relationship with the world. Amen. Mm. And you know, there was so much news I just skipped over because it was just so sad. I, you know, I, 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 it was just about all I could take. I could just, you know, mm. what's, what's our job here? We're telling people it's the end of the world, then we prove it to them. Uh, now what, at this point in, in our radio show, what do people do? I mean, it's, is, 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 now do we begin our comeback? Is bring it on. Bring it on. Yeah, we're going to find a way to survive? Mm -hmm. Stand up, shout back. Let's get let's get into balance. Uh, what would you say the biomass balance with the, the other animals? Right. Well, you could go look at the map of the wild primeval forests of Europe, uh, many of which are in Finland and Slovenia. Um, I've flown over Slovenia, and let me tell you, it's at least thirty percent wild and untouched. And unbelievable that a place that has so long been inhabited by humans remains wild. Mysterious. Uh, Slovenia is. I, I so climbed to the highest mountain in Slovenia, and when you're at the top, you completely forget that, like humans and civilization, yeah. and anything exists. It's wild. You just can't see anything, and then when you're at the top, the next thing you can see is, you know, the German Alps mm -hmm. and society and civilization. Everything is just. It's not even on you know your purview. It's gone. It's not there. Yeah, it's just gorgeous. And when you say German Alps, I immediately think of Hitler on that balcony, <laughs> looking out across the. <laughs> With you need to expand Eva. your mind. What, what was her name? Eva. And now it's time to do the best we can to cheer up just a bit in the face of not just Savitri's news, but in, in the person of Donald Trump. Donald Trump is causing widespread depression among mm. the population. I, I think that five people in this very room are depressed at this moment, largely because of Trump. And we've, we've, we've started something called the Trump Depression Hotline. People who are really depressed can call uh, Pastor Billy, and I will, I will give you an answer. I'll, I'll try to help you out. I'd like to go to one of those letters from a, a gentleman named Manny from Morningside Heights, and I made, made an attempt to answer Manny's query uh, with my two friends, Jason Candler and uh, Brendan Burke, known as the Fiery Eagles of Justice. Uh, we just did this a couple days ago in a music studio. Here it is. Dear Reverend Billy, watching the split-screen coverage on CNN of the United States Embassy in Jerusalem opening while 40 miles away Palestinians are being slaughtered, I found myself wondering, what do you make of your fellow pastor Robert Jeffress? who spoke at the unveiling, and other evangelicals who believe the embassy's arrival will hasten the apocalypse they yearn for. Reverend, in a way, 
It is hastening an apocalypse of sorts in the Middle East, isn't it? Is this a self-fulfilling prophecy? Manny, Manny, listen to me. This is real hate. Reverend Jeffress is expressing real hate. It's not something you can deal with social media. You can't like this or block this. It, this is, this is going to take something more. In 2018, we need to recognize what real hate is. Reverend Jeffress dedicated the Jerusalem consulate with the saddo porn from the end of the Bible, the grotesquely misnamed book called Revelation, the bloodbath of all non-believers. Jesus appears in Revelation. He comes down out of the clouds like, like the rock band Kiss, like a Napoleonic rock star. He comes down toward us to judge us, to murder us. And Jesus' face looks a lot like Jeffress. Yes, and we're over here in Gaza. And he's coming down and he's shooting us. Shooting the children and the teenagers. Shooting families. Killing us. And what are we doing? We're, what are we? Bad theater. What are we? The wrong idea. What are we? Just want to come home for a while. That's all. We're slouching toward Jerusalem, marching up to the front altar at the consulate, taking Reverend Jeffress by his collar. We're taking you back. 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 To the hellfire you came from. Save Union Square. The igniting event in 2003 was the establishment of the Union Square Partnership, an organization dedicated to the area's economic growth. The city had already promised $2 million for rebuilding the park's playground. The Union Square Partnership said no, opting instead for an anonymous private do donation of $7.1 million that would refurbish not only the playground, but also the walkways, the trees, and the paving stones. Without designating or naming the eventual leaseholder, the donor, unknown to this day, stipulated that a for-profit enterprise would occupy the pavilion. The pavilion is a beautiful building at the center of Union Square Park. A plan was developed for a white tablecloth restaurant with four-star aspirations. We tried to come up with a strong, evocative visual language for our campaign to save the pavilion. We fought the restaurant in the pavilion at the north end of Union Square because it has been the most important public assembly area in New York City. 
It was a crucible of radical change, a through line to previous social movements and actual effectual citizen-driven change. So we organized Save Union Square 2008. S-U-S, Save Union Square. And we, we set it up just as quickly as we could. We, we called meetings, which drew individuals from all over New York City. And what came out of that meeting was, was plans for what turned into a couple years of what we call actions, uh, performances, interactive. Yeah, Union Square uh, became a kind of laboratory uh, for us to experiment with different strategies and tactics. And uh, we did so many different things there, so many kinds of assembly, so many uh, different kinds of shows almost. You could almost call them shows. We turned it into a stage, a, a, a commons. We wanted to demonstrate the ideal life of a public commons by our resistance to its disappearance. So we had picnics there. We had performances there. We, we, enact, we reenacted famous historical speeches there. Uh, we even made cardboard cutouts of historical figures and filled the park with them. Lucy Parsons, Norman Thomas, um, George Washington. We did classic <laughs> activist things like drop banners, and and we disrupted, uh, you know, fancy cocktail dinners there. And oh, I think do we have Mark talking about that? Yeah. Yeah. Here we go, Mark Reed. One of the events that the Business Improvement District of Union Square and Danny Meyer personally champions every year, helps set up every year, something called Harvest on the Square. We had decided to disrupt that event. It didn't go as planned. <laughs> put it that way. I was going to stand up on a table and start to make a statement. The way that the space was organized, there really were no tables, really. I mean, everyone was sort of standing around. And so Marissa and I kind of decided to kind of call an audible, you know, like meaning, you know, change the play at the line of scrimmage. It's a football metaphor. And like there was a band with a jazz singer kind of off to one side. So there's a sound system. And I was like, if I could just take the mic away from the singer or somehow like get a hold of the microphone, I could just start talking. We were like scheming, like, so how do we do that? I can't just bum rush the stage. And, you know, then I realized I'm in a suit. I'm in a tie. I'm clean shaven. I look like I belong there. As she kind of paused to take a break, I just walked up and I said, hey, thanks a lot. And I took the mic from her and she she just (laughs) gave it to me. (laughs) And like, you know, because why wouldn't? she you know like you know and I I just started talking and um I gave my address kind of a a rabble rousing address to uh, a a crowd of people who were sort of staring at me some people clapped some people I think just one one dude was sort of booing um and you know the security people were like give me the microphone now and I turned to him very politely and said uh I'm not finished I'll give you uh, no uh, but I will give it to you when I'm finished. I just kept talking, and I kept on trying to. He kept on talking in my ear. You need to stop. You need to stop. You need to stop. You need to stop. And I just ignored him and kept talking until they shut off the sound system. And at which point, I sort of walked off, um, and we left. You know, it was great. I guess just in terms of tactic, that's a very funny action, by the way. In terms of tactics, what you did there was you sort of improvised around the situation. It sounds very similar to when I hear of people just putting on fluorescent jackets, you know, those sort of builder jackets, and they can get in anywhere. And you were wearing a suit, you looked appropriate, and you walked up confidently and just, you acted as if you were supposed to do it, you know? 
Um, yeah, I think you always, you know, this is the whole, you know, rather beg for forgiveness than ask for permission um, in general. Assume that you have the right to the space. There's also, of course, you know, the white privilege, the, you know, the middle-aged white man of relatively good looking, if I do say so, you know, look, you know, they look the part, you know, and there's a, there's a real advantage to that that uh, gives you access to, to all kinds of spaces that you wouldn't otherwise think to, that you had access to. Yeah, Amen. so Mark talks a lot there about the impersonation. It, it's so it's so easy. You just be who you think you should be in that moment and just go take the space. I mean, we did a lot in Union Square. We also were sued. We 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 created a website that was identical to the to the 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 Union Square Partnerships website. Right, we website. discovered they did not have their domain claimed. They had like some other domain, and so we built a website called the Union Square Partnership dot com. Um, and I made a video in which I apologized, and I, and I was very convincing. Hello, my name is Jennifer. I am not allowed to say this. I signed an agreement. I wouldn't talk about it too much, but um, <laughs> I pretended to be her, and I apologized for the whole scheme. I said it was a huge mistake. We're rolling it back. We're going to give the space over to the community. Take it back from the rich people. Please forgive us. Yeah, I mean, the, the primary driver of this move for a fancy restaurant was a guy named uh, Danny Meyer, who has since had to close his restaurant on Union Square. So Danny Meyer had a place called the Union Square Cafe. and uh, It's we, still there, isn't it? Is yeah, it we, we had this idea that if you're going to bring your restaurants into our park, we're going to bring our park into your restaurants. And so we marched over to... Uh, no, it's not still there. Um, it's not there anymore. Oh. He, he, the rent was too high. We drove them away. No, we didn't. The rent drove him away. His own gentrification drove him away. But he's a billionaire. How, how, yeah, the consumers are consuming the consumed. Amen. Um, <laughs> we, we, we opened the door to the restaurant, and we walked in, and we were carrying rolls of sod and trees, and we walked right into this fancy restaurant, which had that hush, you know. That ca it's a casual restaurant, but it's fancy. Uh, so we walk in, we've got this, these rolls of sod and dirt and trees and the smell. I remember very distinctly the smell of earth wafting through the restaurant <laughs> and the look on people's the faces. The maitre d' walked up to us and um, within a, in his polite, demanding way. And uh, we immediately said, um, Mr. Meyer has ordered uh, this, uh, this, these nursery items. Um, where do we put them? Don't you know anything about this? Uh, he, he said to leave them back by the kitchen. Of course, we wanted to get as deep into the restaurant as we could, so we said by the kitchen. So we went all hovering over these, these uh, dainty lunches, <laughs> the white, the white tablecloths and the, and the little champagne glass. Yeah, the result of all that work in Union Square, all of it, was the, the, the knowledge, the realization that in order to uh, take back a park, the, you have to get in the park. The best way to do it is to go be in the park. It's to go stand there and do things in it. And that the best way to reclaim public space is to go be in that public space. There are always policies. There are always people working at desks and phones. There are always, there are always lawyers. Um, You've got to have all that. But the, but the part that is often missing is going back to what you're trying to save and living in it, being in it, and then letting, we let Union Square talk to us. We let, we let those ghosts come into us and instruct us on what to do. Amen. We lost that battle, didn't we? The pavilion is now it is a, a, a four-star restaurant in the middle of a public park, and much of the park is, um, 
it's kind of a battle now between uh, people with children and people people using the park the way it should be used, uh, people on benches flirting, um, uh, families, but, but, but a lot of it is people sitting there it's connected now. The park is connected. You, they're sitting there with their computers and their iPhones. Um, uh, so we think it's a compromised park at this point. But who's to say we might go back? Amen. Watch out. It has been an exciting week, though I have to say um, a major victory from the young people of Ireland. Oh, amen. And we're here to talk now uh, Ireland in our interview about the... Eighth Amendment and the re repeal of the Eighth Amendment, which prohibited abortion, banned abortion, and was voted in in 1983 by the citizens of Ireland. We have a few testimonials from our Irish sisters. And then we, we, have, we have some Irish people here in the room with us. We'll talk to you in a second. Emer and Mark. The state acknowledges the right to life of the unborn and, with due regards to the equal right to life of the mother, guarantees in its laws to respect, and as far as practicable by its laws to vindicate and defend that right. What does it mean to you to be Irish? It's almost the centre of my being. Hold on one minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, Are you totally opposed to divorce, Alex? Yes, yes, I am totally opposed <laughs> yes. to divorce. Based on your own experience, your work as a TD, what? Well, let us say something And he believes in equality. Every single issue affecting gay people is spoken and voted against, put down the most Every year, four to five thousand Irish women go to England for abortions, or they go to other European countries. Um, and that is the ones we know about because they give their names and addresses. And they're single women, married women, and divorced women. They're of all ages, come from all parts of the country, and they go for far, four to five thousand individual human reasons. Well, certainly all I can say on this issue is that um, I think it's been fair to say that for the last six months the spectre of women's life being at risk by reason of test cases being taken to the court, this has been raised and I'm glad to say that the people having considered that particular argument have manifestly rejected it by their vote today. Thousands marched in Dublin to express their sadness at the death of Savita Halapanova and to demand legislation on exactly when a doctor is allowed to abort a fetus. She was a woman who needed our help. She needed the help of a medical team who understood what the guidelines were, that they could fulfill the Hippocratic Oath to do no harm. And they had no clarity. And they need that clarity so that they can save a life. It's just, it's just that idea that they have a choice uh, as to what happens to their body. What, what would you say to that? The choice of their body. I mean, our bodies are not our own. Whose are they? Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Exit polls in Ireland project that voters have overwhelmingly decided to repeal some of the world's most restrictive abortion laws. It would mark a major shift in a country long dominated by the Roman Catholic Church. I was involved in the anti-amendment campaign in 83, so it's been a long, long time coming and it's a great victory. There were a lot of predictions that it would be women who would vote yes, but men no. It would be younger people who would vote yes, but older people not. Everybody voted. You know, 70% of this country who voted 
voted for a repeal. And a big change for Ireland? Oh yeah, it's, it's probably the most major social change in Ireland ever. Wow. Great sound collage from Killian Sunderman. Thank you, Killian. Thank you, Killian. No and problem. now in our studio today, we have with us Mark and Emer, both Irish, who've lived in New York but are now living in Ireland. Welcome. Oh, it's great to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. We like to start by asking what your favorite place on earth is. Um, now I can confidently say Ireland. There was, it was in doubt for a while, but uh, now, yeah, I'm definitely confident that Ireland is my favorite place on earth. <laughs> What about you, Emer? What's your favorite uh, yeah, place? Yeah, I would be in agreement with that now. Um, I think definitely the last week has been a very emotional one. And I think myself and all my friends from Ireland really, we're so proud of our little island right now oh. that I think to say anything but Ireland or Dublin would just be, just be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, being wrong is a wonderful thing I've, I've discovered. Now listen, now in, in Ireland, we have many places. They're so beautiful. Uh, they could be your favorite county, County Kerry, County Monaghan, County Tipperary. You know, do you have a, a favorite place inside Ireland? Yeah, well, I have a very um, big soft spot for County Kerry, specifically Dingle, which is a tiny little town mm-hmm. in um, Kerry on the peninsula. Um, it's just a lovely, very scenic place in Ireland and it's actually still in, in the Gwaeltocks which means that most people there speak Irish as their first language. Um, so I think it has... a uh, a resounding, I suppose, identity of Irishness that mm-hmm. is really hard to find anywhere else in the world. And it used to be that if you sp- if you spoke Irish and a British soldier heard you, that you could be shot in the public square. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. now, uh, in in um, County Kerry, if you if you're heard speaking Irish, then suddenly you've got. 13 tourists around you and it's a death of another kind. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the Eighth Amendment. So you're young people. You, you grew up with this strange pressure, right? Mm-hmm. Talk, can you talk a little bit about what that felt like to know that, like, if, that you were bound by this law? Um, I think the really interesting thing about the Eighth Amendment, at least for me personally, is when I was growing up, I didn't know that it existed. Um, like a lot of young Irish people, Um, Our state schools in Ireland are predominantly Catholic, so if you are going to a non-fee-paying school, you are going to a Catholic school. So from the age of 14 to 18, I was in Catholic school, and the topic of abortion was never brought up, and if it was, it was always in a very negative sphere. Um, So I can honestly say that even though I knew abortion didn't exist in Ireland, that did in other countries, I never thought about it. Mm -hmm. It was never a discussion when I was growing up, and it really wasn't until I was in university that I really started to question the laws and the structures of Ireland and how we treat women. Yeah, I'd be very much in the same boat. Um, I went to an all-boys Catholic school and abortion for me was just this alien thing. I didn't really know much about it and it was only when talks of repealing the Eighth came in that I started learning more and more about it and realising that we had this very restrictive law that I, I never knew anything about for my whole life. Do you feel like the women you knew growing up, I mean, did you know women who had to travel or was it so, because what, from what I've heard and friends I've had, who they never told anyone. They would go to England, they would never tell even their sister or their mother, they would just go alone. Is that Was that your experience as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think abortion in Ireland, it's just so stigmatised. I think women in general, literally since the, the inception of the Irish state, abortion and women's rights and pregnant women's rights have always been, um, you know, under debate, whether it's the Magdalene Laundries or the mother and baby homes mm-hmm. or the Eighth Amendment. I think pregnant women in Ireland have never had full autonomy over their rights. And 
the constitutional amendment in 1983, it just further enshrined that, but it was always a difficult place for pregnant women to be. Well, so you're, you're a young person in, or, or even an old person in Ireland, and you, and you fall in love. And so you must immediately be thinking about prophylactics then. If, if you want to be intimate with each other, you must immediately think that that's kind of mixed in with your desire right away, isn't it? You're talking about um, prophylactics. Uh, that was the, the reason that um, the Eighth Amendment, which was voted in 1983, was uh, that it, it came in because abortion was always illegal in Ireland, but then uh, it was brought in because people started using uh, condoms and stuff like that, so the church needed to figure out a way to, you know, get a very firm law against uh, abortion in the Constitution. It was in the Constitution. Um, I think, yeah, Emer was talking about that earlier. Um, right. I mean, that's a very heavy thing to say, right? It's, in, it's constitutionally inscribed that you cannot have an abortion. Um, so this is like not a, a separation of church and state. This is the church coming right up into the state and constitutionally banning abortion and women's reproductive freedom. We don't have any sex in our Constitution, do we, in the United States? Oh, well, no. there's the Bill of Rights. We have, we have the freedom to express ourselves. I mean, damn it, honey, no, but can't you? Even just that, you, that, that, that what you're not allowed to do is not normally constant. In, in, in the U.S., most of our constitutional amendments are about what you are your freedoms they're not about the lack of freedom right (laughs) (laughs) you know they're not negative i just wonder um like with your mothers did you ever talk about any of this with the generation is is there a a true generational divide around this topic yeah i i feel like there would be i feel like i don't know with with older generations i I just feel like it would nearly be a bit of a taboo subject to talk about um certainly in in my experience obviously as it got closer to the referendum you had to kind of break these taboos and have the conversation just to get the the message across but yeah i feel like it was always a um yeah it's kind of a no-go area to talk about stuff like this with with older generations and why do you think that y- y- younger people um it was just the travel it was just it was just uh being in the world and 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 the sexual revolutions happening at various parts of the world washed across the borders of Ireland into Irish consciousness of, of the younger people? Well, I don't know. I don't know if that's entirely fair because I think Emer even said it the other day and the guy said it at the end of that segment that while there is a slight divide, um, and Emer said this to me last night, maybe, you know, Ireland is still a predominantly Catholic country. That hasn't changed. People haven't just lost their religion overnight. What happened was a large percentage of Catholic people in Ireland voted essentially against their religious beliefs, which is you know quite a significant thing. And it wasn't just young people, it was significantly more young people, but as the guy said at the end, men voted uh, in a landslide victory, so did over 65, so did, I mean, it wasn't the same gap, but it was still, it was still across the board, a majority saying yes to repealing the Eighth Amendment. So Does this also have to do board. with the, the uh, scandal of the Irish priests with the pedophilia? Does, is that, was that a factor? Yeah, I, I definitely feel like trust with the churches has been, you know, going down a lot since that's been happening. People are beginning to question the church a lot more. I feel like there's a certain period where they could do no wrong. And I mean, they run the schools and they run, you know, they had a lot of power. And then since more and more scandals like this started coming out, people are starting to question the church a lot more. So I'd say it definitely was a, a factor. I'm not sure how big of a factor it was, but I'd say it had an effect. So you've legalized same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. You've overturned the eighth. What can you imagine for Ireland now? Like, what more would you ask for? What would you say? Um, that's a good question. I think one thing that I would love to see 
in my lifetime would definitely be a separation of the church and schools in Ireland and also um, hospitals. A lot of our hospitals are also owned by the Catholic Church as well. Um, so, you know, I'd love to live in an Ireland where people, if they choose to be religious, it's a choice and it's not just something that is kind of forced upon them from the age of four and they don't know anything else. Um, I think there's definitely more non-denominational schools cropping up and Killian actually went to one as well. Um, so it is becoming a lot more normal. But for the most part, the, the vast majority of state schools in Ireland, they're, they're Catholic. And I just don't think that's the way that a society should be run on. I, I actually asked uh, Amadeus this uh, question, who used to be in the choir. Maybe you can talk a little better. But I asked her um, about going home to vote, which these guys did as well. And I also asked her, what next? And uh, she had some good answers. Amadeus, you flew home to vote. Where did you fly from? And what was the atmosphere like uh, when you were flying home? So I flew from London. At the airport, the first kind of like taste of the referendum I got was this young girl wearing a repeal jumper and she's like bawling. She's really stressed. Her boyfriend was with her and he was kind of saying it's going to be okay and she's like crying and she's saying it's not going to pass. I can't deal with this. This is, you know, and I heard her saying it's going to bring up old memories and everything. So I presume maybe she had an abortion and she was, she was distressed. But when I got off the plane, I saw, you know, I was confronted with, at the 16 bus stop at the airport, I was confronted with the church and God is love, this big towering church. And I was kind of felt like the sinister hand of the Catholic church. And I was kind of going, going on the bus and I saw all these no posters that outnumbered the yes posters, 20 to one, maybe 15 or 20 to one. And I was kind of, I started to get very nervous. What would it have meant if, uh, if this didn't pass? Oh God. Um, I suppose um, I suppose it just would have meant that Ireland um, as a state, as a nation state and a culture, considers women's place to be um, child bearers and child rearers, their kind of natural place or their rightful place um, to be child bearers such that their own decisions about their body and their lives should always come secondary to that of their children. Mm. And, and that's how it has been for many, many years. Um, and that's changed now? I mean, I don't think that it's changed fundamentally, but this has marked a massive shift in those attitudes, for sure. We still have a line in the Constitution that says a woman um, kind of... Her, her place is in her, the home? Her place is in the home, essentially. <laughs> she contributes to her kind of heavenly duties um, with her duties in the home and uh, the state shall recognize that she should never be economically obliged to work outside the home Which I think then affects probably like people would say oh this kind of thing doesn't actually have any policy effects But I would imagine that it actually affects the fact that there's no free childcare in Ireland Because why why would there be if they consider a woman's place to be in the home? Exactly and so do you think that this attitude I guess that the Constitution was written under is largely a old attitude. I mean, I know you say it has ramifications, um, but do you think that, that there is certainly a movement away from it, uh, and this is sort of some seminal moment in that movement, this uh, vote to repeal the yeah. oath? Yes, yes, I think the attitude is outdated, um, but at the same time, I think it might be slightly optimistic to say that it is completely eradicated in other countries, because if you look across Europe, or even, for example, in the UK, where I'm living now, um, childcare is kind of you know, upwards from like a thousand um, pounds a month in some cases, which means in a lot of cases, you know, women will, the burden of childcare is put on them and they will, um, in many cases, 
even if they're in kind of senior managerial roles, they will quit their jobs and spend the first kind of five years of the child's life at home or in part-time work, which then affects their, their job prospects in other areas. So, you know, even though now we have abortion, these attitudes are still quite entrenched across European society anyway, and, and certainly American society as well. So I think that this amendment has really was marked kind of like one of the, the final big shifts in terms of the Catholic Church's reign. Thank you, Amadeus. A little lesson in feminism there from Amadeus Hart. A, uh, a honorary member of the Stop Shopping mm. Choir. Yes. And the only person who I interviewed who wasn't uh, crying with happiness, uh, which I really like, I love about her. Yeah. She was able to not cry. She dresses to depress. Well, she's, <laughs> she's a goth. She uh, said, what next? That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> Amadeus. Well, I mean, the, uh, there's the facts on the ground, and then there's just the beacon of light in these in extraordinary dark times. Um, there's the feeling that people's referendums can change things for the better, a sense of democracy, a belief in democracy that it's certainly quite broken in this country. Um, th these are the things I get from what happened last week in Ireland. And as well, just, uh, again, so many friends of mine telling stories about Fly, I mean, it really it's so sad to me flying by themselves across the channel, I mean, across the Irish Sea and going through that by themselves and then not being able to talk to anyone about it. It's rough. And I, um, so I'm glad that women are free of that. You know, that's a big start. I have some friends who told me about their mothers opening up about, you know, their journeys that they did across uh, to England, only opening up since this sort of conversation was broken open. Because uh, it was really broken over and open over the last uh, few years, and they opened up and said, "Like this happened to me when I was a uh, nineteen-year-old kid. You know, I got knocked up, and it was on me to sort this out. I, I right. had to get a plane, and I had to go across uh, to London, and I had to do it all by myself. And it was, you know, it was expensive. It was, you know, it's a horrible thing to go through. And not to mention the many women who have faced, uh, you know, this crisis." under duress, you know, victims of molestation, of assault, of, or of, of, of terrible medical conditions that make having a child dangerous for them. So, you know, in that sense, and very clearly, Amadeus is right, right? There's political ramifications that are yet to be <coughs> sorted. <laughs> but th it's a great step forward for Ireland, no doubt about it. I can't help but think of the talking about borders and the moral morality that becomes a part of a nation state's enforcement policy um, we have in the United States right now a, a demonization of, of men and women and children uh, uh, going on as a part of our daily discourse um, it's a time when, when uh, we, we don't want our daughter, our eight-year-old daughter, to know about some aspects of the news. Uh, Claudia Patricia Gomez Gonzalez, shot by border guards, shot in the head and killed just, just three days ago. Uh, we were having uh, rallies and vigils around the country uh, an, uh, a 20-year-old. She wasn't 20. She was maybe 
maybe 19, maybe 19. 18. Some say 16. But she the, looks very young and she's trying to cross the border. About control is a very interesting one, right? Like how the state controls us, right? It starts at my body or it starts at the border. Where does it stop and start? And how do we reclaim that control? So you have went home to vote, right? Mm -hmm. What did that feel like for you? Oh, I think it was incredibly symbolic. I mean, um, I wouldn't have missed this vote for the world. I think that we've been fighting for this, or at least personally, since the death of Savita back in 2012. Um, And I think for me to travel home from Berlin is just one small thing that I can do to stand in solidarity with all those hundreds and thousands of women who had to fly to England and elsewhere in Europe, you know. Um, yeah, it was just incredibly symbolic and I hope that the women of Ireland that were affected by the 8th know that, you know, everyone is standing with them and 66.4% of Ireland are apologising for what we've done to them. Um, so, yeah, flying home to vote was very emotional, very symbolic, lots of tears on the plane uh, and in the airport and all through the weekend, really. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was nice in a way, too, that we got to the airport and there was, there was essentially the entire Irish community of Berlin was in the airport at that time. So wow. we, were, we, were all, uh, we were all together in the, um, in, the, in the terminal. And yeah, it was kind of, even though it was quite a serious thing and it, it was definitely nervous, it was nice for us all to be there and know that we're all going home to, to kind of do what we can. So it felt good. Amen. That's so beautiful. I mean, I mean, uh, Killian was talking about his participation and he was on this online chats. Talk about yeah, that. Yeah, well, uh, due to my um, vi- uh, visitor status in America, uh, flying home isn't the easiest thing to do these days under the current climate. So I, um, instead of being able to go home, I found this Facebook group, which was really fantastic. It was called uh, Home for Repeal, where people uh, would post onto the Facebook group saying, hey, I, I like right up until, I was up until two in the morning uh, the night before the referendum. So this would have been maybe five in the morning or six in the morning in uh, Europe. And they were saying, hey, I'm in Spain. I'm a nurse. I don't have any money. But here's a flight at, you know, in three hours time that I'm willing to get. Can you send me home? And then bang, we would just send them home. There'd be like, there was like 50 people active and we'd just be sending them money. And then we we're like, next, who wants to go home? And then bang, <laughs> hey, I'm in Germany. I'm on Erasmus. Bang, you're home. People from North Umbria, bang. We were sending oh, people home like beautiful. that. It felt great. So, uh, I at least felt a little bit involved in the, uh, the process. What a story. That's wonderful. <sighs> we always say when there's a protest and you can't go to send someone in your place. Mm. But it's amazing to think of how we do that in these in this global globalized situation we're in, you know, and especially for the Irish who have so long been leaving home, right? Mm. That the story is like it's I know. It's so emotional. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm in that airport crying with the well but i mean that same state irish. control forced so many irish people to leave home uh-huh. for so long you know it's it's really um encouraging thank I you have, so much for being with us today yeah yeah of course emer and mark have a wonderful stay thank you thank, thank you so you. much for and having Killian. us and for your support yeah it's great thanks well we will i know support support you no matter what no matter what the next thing is. And we just love we'll Ireland. We'll ask for your support, too. It's one of our favorite places on Earth.
Wonderful troubled Sinead, but a great singer. Um, Tearing Mandinka. up the postcard of the Pope. If you know what that song is about, please tell me. And now, Extinction's Got Talent, and today we've selected the the Irish Pine Martin, one of the rarest and most elusive wildlife species in Ireland. Once common throughout the country, by the 20th century, the species had become extinct from the majority of Ireland, surviving only in a few isolated and fragmented populations, mainly in the West, maybe over by Dingle. The main reasons for the species' decline were related to the hunting of its fur, loss of habitat through the destructions of forests, direct and indirect poisoning and persecution as a potential predator of livestock and game populations. Recent Estimates suggest that the total population of Pine Martin in Ireland is approximately 2,700 individuals, making it Ireland's rarest native mammal species. And the Pine Martin is a beautiful little creature. We have them here in the U.S. I've never seen one in the wild, but hear the sound of the Pine Martin. does that sound like <laughs> serious huh mm. kind of there's a, ser- a seriousness there mm-hmm. amen i wonder what the pine martin was thinking about i want the 
the pine martin to flourish. We have to find a way. The, um, the subject of saving a park and the subject of saving a kind of mammal, a fellow animal, and above all, this hour, the subject of saving women and families from the pain of intrusive moralities coming down from ancient church structures, demands, the uh, feeling that we have in the United States right now that there's a return to a moral violence, puritanical violence, especially in Trump's immigration forces, but also in the militarized attitudes of our police, the presence of toxins coming from pesticides and from GMO crops, industrial agriculture, these regulations now being lifted, coal coming back, tar sands coming back, the unfortunate uh, move by Trudeau in Canada to take back from the native peoples, the First Nation peoples, the to take back that pipeline and protect it when overwhelmingly the people who would suffer from from it have rejected it. We have a, a war on the body, a presence in our life of strong men, fascistic, one-party governments, concentrations of wealth, concentration of weapons and chemicals. And it really does feel like an updating of the of the Roman Catholic fundamentalism that has come down to us through the centuries, but now comes comes on people in, in new forms. We think of Claudia Patricia Gomez Gonzalez. We think of the trans person Rosanna, also dead at the border uh, in in under un, while in the custody of the Immigration Customs Enforcement Police. Trump's um, Trump's police. They seem to just come from his. Uh, czar-like control of the military. What's happening in the world, it, it, it is overwhelming, and sometimes we, we find ourselves losing connection with our own defenses, personal defenses, community defenses. How do we gather together to organize against? In the United States, once in a while, we have these, these very important eruptions of hope. Uh, Parkland, the Women's March, Standing Rock, Black Lives Matter. Uh, they're quickly surrounded by militaries, they're driven underground very quickly. We now have from the, the Irish people a, a gift that even under what seems like insurmountable moral fundamentalism, people can band together, find a way to resist, give each other strength, and change, change the culture. Example that, that was gifted to us this week by Ireland is something that we can, we can use in our neighborhoods. We can resist the monoculture. We can be together. We still have that strength in us. Thank you so much for sharing this hour. The Earth wants you. This is Reverend Billy with Savitri D and Killian Sunderman. Earth Alleluia. Thanks for listening. <laughs>